Hi, Martin. Good to see you. Good to see you. How are you today? I'm doing very good. I'm embarrassed because I'm a little bit late. Oh, no, you're good. Everything's good. Where are you located? Uh, right now in Spain, south coast of Spain. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, that's that's mm -hmm. on my list of places to go. I'm in uh, Kansas City, Missouri, the middle of America. Mm -hmm. So it's great to meet you. I want to begin everything, our conversation mm -hmm. with what we've lived through for the last three and a half years, which has been a global pandemic. How did you get through it and how has it changed you? I got through it quite easily because I'm very used to being alone. Right? I've lived and worked uh, by myself at home for more than a decade. I've always been uh, very good at being alone. So when Spain went into lockdown, which was really, really uh, tough here uh, on the coast, nothing too much changed because I had this solitary lifestyle with all my friends online, on Zoom, in different countries. So I just didn't get to go out for a walk as often as I did before. And that was about it. What happened in the last 12 to 14 months, though, off the back of that was an increasing frustration with that being uh, very solitary. I used to have a very active social life in my teens, uh, early 20s. And for a number of reasons that uh, stopped partially because, well, mostly because I went into a monastery and you don't have a social life in a monastery. And when I left there 15 years ago, I kind of stayed in this hermit mode. And it was very nice, very comfortable, nothing wrong with it. But over the course of the last, I guess, 12, 14, 16 months, I started getting more and more antsy. Like, where's people? Where's friends? Where's hanging out? Where's having beers? And so in the last seven or eight months, I've been on a roller coaster of travel and meeting and visiting people and going to meetups. And I am now a recovering introvert. That's what I call myself. Excellent. Well, and, and you've had quite a quite a ride, and I want to kind of get to the essence of exactly what you do for a living. So I want to put you in front of a bunch of third graders. It's career okay. day. And one of the kids mm -hmm. is curious and says, what do you do for a living? How would you answer that child? So imagine you have a lemonade stand, and you have the best lemons in the whole street. And your lemonade is just so nice and refreshing. And all these people walking by, they're looking at your lemonade stand, and they don't stop to buy your lemonade. It's really annoying, isn't it? Okay, so I'm the guy who helps you to figure out what to put on your sign so that people stop and start talking to you. Yeah. And then I help you ask the questions and say the things that make people go, oh, really, is your lemonade that good? Let me taste some so that they buy. And that's what I do. I help you figure out how to stop people in their tracks and how to make them buy that lovely lemonade or the car tires or the yoga lessons or whatever it is that you do, but so that people buy what you have to sell. So what did you want to be when you were in the third grade? What was your dream to grow up and become? I don't know. I'm maybe musician. I used to play music back then. Um, maybe actor. My, my dad used to tell me that um, uh, once I saw the Pope deliver a sermon on television and I looked at them and I go, you know what, I want to be the Pope when I grow up or maybe a clown. Yeah. So 
I'll, I'll leave it there. I really don't remember what the sure. goals and dreams were. So let me, let me get back to your childhood. Where were you born and raised and what made you, 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 you were a monk and now you're mm. helping people get to a better place in, in a business mm. sense. How did all of that transpire? What were the seeds that made you become that? I grew up in Holland. I was born uh, in the center of Holland. Um, and I lived there until I was probably 20, 21. And around that time, I met, met people who meditate. And they said, oh, come and sit with us. It's good for you. So I started to meditate. I didn't have any uh, vocation. I have always been agnostic. But meditating was something I was curious about. And sitting there with these people did me a lot of good. So very gradually, I started forming part of the community until I moved in, until at some point I took the vow. So it happened in a very natural, casual, gradual way, driven by a motivation to figure myself out, to understand myself, but also to learn what makes people tick, why people do the things they do or don't do the things they do. That's because I always had this desire to help people but i was always trying to fix people hey listen you're doing it wrong that's not how things work this is why your girlfriend left you and people would go so what who asked you in my life not your business didn't ask you so at some point i realized if i'm going to help people with these insights that i have i need to be a different kind of person because this guy is not going to get the results because people are rejecting the help i must have decided that somewhere in my late teens. I don't remember the decision. I only remember that 15 years later, 16, 17 years later, after leaving the monastery, I suddenly realized, wait a minute, I'm now helping people in the way that I wanted to in my teens. Yeah. And I had to go through this entire trajectory of first a monastery and then starting a tailoring company and then seeing that fail and then becoming a copywriter and a marketing teacher. I needed all of those stages to get to the place where I am now actually able to help people. Now, when I tell people, what if you try it differently? They go, oh, tell me more. So it's like I did a Jason Bourne on myself. I made a decision to change and then I forgot about the decision and I went through the whole unseen curriculum until I'm now at the place where I actually have the abilities, the skills and the listening skills to, to actually help people. So who's been kind of a role model or a hero for you in your life? Ooh. Hmm. Steve Jobs is there somewhere. Yeah. Oh, he was also a real dick to people. So I don't know if that's the <laughs> right role model to have. I don't know if right. I swear on this podcast, but yeah, no, um, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, uh, Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci in some way, because he was so multi-skilled and everything he did was based on perception, on really closely observing things. And I think that is also why I'm able to do the work that I do, uh, get the results with people. Uh, everything is about paying really close attention to people. What are they are saying? What are they not saying? What's their body language? What micro expressions? Can you verify that you got it right and let them tell you how to correct your impression? And that whole process of scrutinizing other people, not, not in, a, in, a, in a creepy way, but in like, am I really paying as much attention to you as I possibly can? That is very powerful. And 
that is something that later I realized um, uh, is what, what made Da Vinci uh, become so good at the different things he did. So if you can meet one person alive on the planet right now, who would it be? Who would you love to meet and talk to? And that would have to be Steve Jobs. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So obviously with someone like Steve Jobs, they had a high level of motivation to do mm. all of the things that he did. What is that for you? What gets you out of bed every day? What gets you to want to accomplish what you want to get done and to help people along the way? A fascination for what makes people tick. Like that desire to understand people uh, from 30 years ago, that's still there. That like, okay, so I get to meet uh, Johnny today. Uh, it's going to be our second call. You told me some positive things last week, but you also had some concerns. I wonder what that's about. I wonder what I need to ask him in order to break through that mental obstacle or whatever it is. So the, 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 the fascination with people and what life looks like to them, that gets me out of bed. What's been one of your best, most memorable client success stories that always puts a smile on your face? One of them is, um, is now my business partner. She is a family business consultant. And when we started about a year ago, uh, she was my student. Uh, she was struggling to convert all those endless coffee meetings into buyers. And she would write endless proposals, which then nobody would read, and then the deal wouldn't go anywhere. And now she's booked full. She's charging as much as she wants. Uh, people are referring her, and uh, she's got a wait list. And she doesn't write proposal anymore because she says, "You have your pen ready? Okay, this is how the program is going to work." And people take their notes and then they go away. Okay, if this is all in agreement with you, then I'll send you my payment details, and then they send the money. So that is one of the you know, most fun stories to take somebody who really didn't get the intricacies of selling and keeping a process going forward and who now effortlessly takes people on a buyer journey that they actually really enjoy and learn from and eagerly buy from. So let's say you have a dream tonight. You run into the 20-year-old version of you and you could give that version of you a piece of advice based on the wisdom you've gained in your life up to this point. What advice would you give your younger self? Remember that most of the times you're not right. Because, and, and this, yeah, um, look, I still suffer from this human condition, really thinking that I'm right about this thing or that thing. And if only I would have been able more often to step back and look at something and going, am I really right about this? about this decision or this person or this interpretation of an event, or is there more to it? So a more, a deeper kind of perspective on things rather, rather than just thinking, well, this is how I see it. And therefore this is how things are. And therefore this is how I should react. Yeah. I wish I would have learned that earlier. Yeah. What's been the best advice you've ever gotten? Listen to life. Yeah. So as a monk, what were the most profound things that you learned about whether yourself or the world? Well, about myself, um, I learned it only a year or two ago, really, but the seeds were sown in my monastic years that no matter how 
much you think you're a nice person and you're doing things for the right reasons and you're doing things for other people, you are never free of uh, self-interest and self-serving motivations. No matter how noble, how grand the cause, you're always doing it to please yourself, to feel good about yourself, to enable yourself to tell the story that you're such a good guy or girl. And it, it, it's curious that it took me you know, so many years afterwards before I really came to the realization that, yeah, look, I'm telling everybody to not be a people pleaser, but I am actually also a people pleaser because then I get to tell myself a story about what a great guy I am to other people. I'm look at me, I'm dropping everything in order to help somebody who's in trouble. Yeah, I'm not doing that because I'm a great guy. I'm doing that because I then get to feel good about myself. Yeah. So if you could see one event in human history, if we get off the phone and a time machine pulls up in front of your house and you could go back in time and see anything that's happened in human history, what would you love to have seen with your own eyes? I would have loved to see the first caveman pick up a burning stick. Yeah. That'd be fascinating. Mm -hmm. So of all of the things that you've accomplished, overcome and become up to this point in your life, what are you the proudest of? Grit and resilience. Which is funny because that's a double-edged sword, right? I... I... Living in a monastery is pretty tough. It's not the, the, the beautiful, peaceful, serene surrounding that everybody thinks it is. Uh, it's a battlefield because if you're not fighting other people's ego, you're fighting your own ego and self-importance. So it's really tough. And to stay there for 12 years, uh, well, that required a lot of um, stick-withedness. And that training helped me in the years afterwards get through some pretty difficult times. Uh, one of them being my, my bankruptcy from the tailoring company. So yeah, I'm really happy with that. And I'm very proud that I can stand you know, difficult things. But the flip side of it is that with com combined with my people pleasing, uh, for a number of years, I was able to keep myself in a very unsatisfying situation. I was not making enough money. I was having trouble. And I was feeling the anxiety of it, but hey, listen, I'm strong and I'm gritty and I can stand this. And so instead of mm, taking care of the asset, which is the self, which is making sure that you have your own oxygen mask on first, I would always be helping other people while seeing my own revenue drop because I can stand this anxiety as well. And tomorrow I'll get back to fixing things. So grit, but the caveat. So everyone has a perception of you, family, friends, clients, colleagues, but you run the show. What's your perception mm. of you? Who do you think you are? Wow. Are you a coach by any chance? <laughs> no, this is the therapy section of everything. <laughs> Gee, I mean, that's, I think you're getting on an interview about, you know, business things and but that's the essence of, of anything that's business-wise. It's the soul that's stirring inside that's making it happen. Well, I'm, I'm a guy who has 
there's this meme that you see on social media. Like, uh, I read books and I know things. This is what I do. And that kind of, that's kind of it. I, I've spent 30 years learning psychology and communication and relationships and uh, group dynamics and interpersonal dynamics. And I know stuff about how things work between people, how to make it work better. And I just cannot obsess over bringing that to other people because it's a body of knowledge that not many people have. I mean, there's a lot of sales coaches out there, but I also bring the psychological and then the spiritual point of view and history into the whole mix. And so I have this way of working with people and handling situations and dealing with people that is extremely effective. And it bothers me enormously to see good people try and run a business and not be able to get more done with people, get more buyers, get more collaboration from their team, get more buying anything really. It's, it's with your spouse, with your kids. It's every person you come in touch with in your life, you can improve the results you get with those people. And then I've spent 30 years trying to figure out how to make that happen. And then if you put the fine point of business and sales on it, I want more people to understand how to make things work because it's not that difficult. It mostly is a matter of, like I said, paying close attention to people and listening, uh, listening at them, really figuring out what they are saying, why, what their pains are, their frustrations, their wants, their fears, their motivations. Or once you really make it about them, once you turn every human interaction into something focused on that person and their world, all your interactions with people improve. And that is something that like in the West, we don't know how to deal with each other. We don't learn communication in schools. And so we end up in, in games where we try to outsmart each other or be more correct or right than other people. And it, it brings all kinds of frustrating and dysfunctional conflict and strife between people. Yeah. And it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. Life can be so much easier with people when you understand how to communicate with them. And I cannot stop obsessing about getting more people into that kind of thinking, and the type of approach that I've developed over the years. What do you like the best about living in Spain? I love the, the, um, the terrain here, the, the desert, the dryness. I'm, I'm told it's very much like parts of California. Yeah. Um, and I like that so much, but also the, the culture. So you have um, the, the, the European culture, but it's mixed with the Moorish culture. And they're very proud of that. And you see it in the language and in buildings and the way that that is fused together and became a new kind of hybrid sort of European culture. I like that a lot. Well said. Martin, if anyone wants to reach out, hire you, learn more about you, what's the best way to do that? All right. So um, the best thing is to go to salesflowcoach.app. It's a very basic little web app that I made. It's got articles in it. It's got decision trees. It's got uh, mini trainings. It's something I put together to give people free access to the kind of thinking and methodology uh, that normally people pay me for. So go there, sign up, get on the list, get a daily article. It's useful stuff and it helps people sell more.
Wonderful. Martin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your story. Best of luck with everything, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. All right. Thanks.